There are over 700,000 sexual offenders in the United States alone. With all the social media these days, how can we protect ourselves and our children from these despicable predators? Welcome to the Voice of the Victim podcast, where we discuss criminal cases that involve some factor of abuse. Our goal is to spread awareness of abuse that could be taking place around any of us and encourage everyone to take responsibility and report if they see a child or an adult being abused. We talk about a lot of horrible things on this show, but why do we talk about it? It doesn't really make us feel good. It's quite the opposite, especially when we're discussing abuse of children. But could there be a silver lining to telling these stories? Maybe there's something we can learn by going over these events and trying to see the missed opportunities. What could have made a difference in the futures of these helpless little victims? They are not here to speak up for themselves, but we can do our best to speak up for them. Welcome to the Voice of the Victim podcast. I'm Ryan. And I'm Rosie. And this week's case is a request from one of our listeners, Tamara. So thank you for that. And if you have any requests for stories we should cover or any stories you'd like to share, definitely write into us. And we actually have someone that's going to be sharing their story very soon on our show. And we have a call set up with tomorrow night. So we're looking forward to that. And we know you'll enjoy it too. Mm-hmm. But who are we talking about tonight, Rosie? Tonight we're talking about Robbie Wayne. This was a story that was covered in the Reader's Digest a long time ago. And it's a true story, but the names have been changed to protect the children involved. Robbie's mom was Lana Wood, and by the time she was 24, Lana had already been married four times. She had worked as an exotic dancer to make ends meet, and this took up a lot of her time working nights and weekends, which meant that most evenings Robbie and his half-brother Eric had to fend for themselves to find dinner, so they usually were forced to eat junk food only being ages five and seven. So these boys are relatively underprivileged for two boys living in Texas in 1977. I'm guessing they were left alone or with mm-hmm. whatever boyfriend she had at the time. Do you know how old she was when she got married for the first time? No. I was just kind of curious because 24 is so young to be married. I know. times already. All the information we got about this case was from Reader's Digest, like Rosie said earlier, and anything that's not in there isn't something we can share. But So in the spring of that year, Lana had separated from her fourth husband and moved to Pecan. Is it Pecan? Well, how do you say it? Pecan or Pecan? Like pecan. the nut. Okay, I'm just <laughs> picturing a neighborhood of nuts. Pecan Grove, Texas with that's her new boyfriend. That's pretty much any neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> Ta-ding-ching. Anyway. Lana had separated from her fourth husband, and then she moved to Pecan Grove, Texas, with her new boyfriend, Harry Joe Dowd. Uh, He was recently divorced and also had custody of a nine-year-old daughter. He was described as a tall, broad-shouldered man, roughly around 245 pounds, and he was also 10 years older than Lana, so he was about 34. Shortly after they moved in together, Lana got pregnant again and had to stop working, And I'm guessing this is because she's a dancer and they probably weren't looking for a pregnant woman to be on their crew. I don't know. Some guys are really into strange things. True. I didn't think of that. (laughs) (laughs) Around the same time, Harry was working in construction and he ended up hurting his leg while on the job. He also had to quit working, but he did receive some meager wages for workman's comp. But really, it was a fraction of what the family had been previously living off of. They had two boys a girl and a baby on the way. 
So they were going to need more than just workman's comp, which was barely enough for even food. Yeah, and sadly, they just had to adjust to the lower income. This new situation actually led Harry to resenting the two boys, Robbie and Eric, because how was he supposed to care for these two kids that weren't even his with no work? He felt like the two boys were a burden on him, and he felt like they were just taking food out of the mouth of his only child, his nine-year-old daughter, Wendy Jo. Oh, that's so selfish. I know. Well, Eric, Robbie's older brother, began having trouble in school, and so Harry, his new father figure, started spending time tutoring the boy. Yeah, personally, I think that's kind of sweet that he would take the time to help Eric with his school, even though he wasn't the boy's father. But, like every case, there's a lot more to the story, and it wasn't as good as it sounds. Harry was a hard taskmaster. It's interesting to know that Harry had a violent, alcoholic father who would inflict harsh punishments on him to, quote-unquote, make a man out of him. So keep in mind that as we continue the story, Harry's father was alcoholic and violent. Not a good combination for a father. And now we want to pause to share another podcast with you that we think you might enjoy if you like our show. Hi, this is Minna from True Crime Finland. Ah, Finland, so peaceful and safe. There isn't even any crime there, right? Wrong. Join me every two weeks in discovering the dark side of the land of a thousand lakes. Everything from human trafficking and Ponzi schemes to double homicide and child abuse. From the forgotten and lesser known to the legendary and infamous Finnish cases, the podcast will be sure to offer something for everyone. You can find True Crime Finland on iTunes, Pocket Casts, Podcast Addict, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Roseanne, host of the California Dreaming Podcast, a show that delves into the darker side of the not-so-golden state. Together, we will visit some of the most unhinged and chilling crimes that ever shook California and beyond. Join me as I take you on a journey into a new story each week with a different backdrop from all around California. From the bright lights and glamour of Hollywood to the picturesque and tranquil wine country, no crime, no town, nobody is off limits. Listen to California Dreaming on the Orbital Jigsaw Network or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Um, Back to the present time, Harry was tutoring Eric and he would force Eric to study from the time he got home from school until late at night. Eric could never seem to be good enough at school for Harry and he got really irritated when Eric couldn't get any better. He ended up getting so upset with Eric that every time he got a bad grade, he would lock the boy in the closet. This went on for quite a while, but fortunately, his mother Lana listened to her maternal instincts, and she took the initiative to send Eric away to stay with her relatives near Houston, Texas, to protect him from Harry. I find it a bit strange that she sent him away to protect him from her new boyfriend instead of just leaving the man. I mean, mm-hmm. why would she put this man before her own child? 
I suppose it could be because she was pregnant with his child, but still, you gotta care for all your children. So it's just something to chew on. Maybe it was because she absolutely had no work, but he got the workman's comp, so she felt like she needed to stay. True, true. If she was when she was pregnant, she wasn't working. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in January of 1978, Lana gave birth to another son, her third. His name was Harry Joe Dowd Jr. Three months later, in April 1978, Harry's workman's comp was running out and they had to move to Big Spring, Texas, where Lana had found a job as a waitress. She was usually gone at work from mid-afternoon to around 11 p.m., leaving the children at home with Harry. Uh, this had to be tough with a three-month-old son not being able to be there for your baby in the evenings. Oh, that'd but, be terrible. I know. But here we see, now Lana's working again, so she did have some leg to stand on to leave him. Yeah, but just be sad. I suppose there's a lot more to it than that. Yeah, the poor baby is probably bawling for his mom all the time. Oh, yeah. <sighs> well, Harry was not able to find a job. More accurately, he didn't try to find one. His doctors had told him his leg was completely healed and he could return to work, but Harry claimed they were wrong and used this as an excuse for not finding a job. He sounds like a lazy jerk making his woman work every night while refusing to help the family financially. He sounds like someone I know. If <laughs> <laughs> we remain nameless. Yes, but maybe he just figured he could be the built-in babysitter. Yeah. Because that would save them Stay a lot of money. Dad. Yeah, babysitters are expensive. Despite sending Lana off to work to be the breadwinner for the family of six, Harry was extremely possessive of Lana and would often pace the floor frantically, waiting for her to come home while he dwelled in his suspicions that Lana was flirting with other men at the restaurant. Harry also had a very specific style of parenting. He had a strict regimen of chores for his children and kept them very firmly disciplined in their habits of character building chores. His daughter Wendy really wanted to do her best to please her father. She did a lot of work, washing dishes, sweeping floors, and hanging diapers. Robbie, who had just turned six, was another story. He often rebelled against Harry and procrastinated in doing many of his assignments, especially taking out the trash and picking up sticks in the yard. Oh, I remember that chore, picking up sticks. Yeah. You remember that? No. No. Well, my parents would give me a... A grocery bag, one of those paper grocery bags, you know? Oh, yeah? And they're like, come back when you fill it up. <laughs> <laughs> there was enough to fill up the bag, huh? I found enough. Hmm. But, I mean, I was the same way when I was young, and I still procrastinate like crazy when it comes <laughs> to doing chores, especially ones that get my hands dirty because I'm a bit of a germaphobe. So when it comes to cat litter or trash which are the two things that I need to work on. <laughs> <laughs> I usually put it off too long, so sorry, Rosie. Thank you. So one night when Lana was at work, um, it was a night just like any other. She was wrapping up her shift, cleaning up the restaurant just before closing time. But just as she was finishing up, she received a frantic phone call from Harry. He said, you better come home. I can't get this kid to stop screaming. She wasn't sure who he was talking about, so she asked, Is it Robbie or the baby? It's Robbie, Harry replied. He burned his hands taking out the trash, and he just keeps screaming. I'm wondering how you burn your hands taking out the trash? Yeah, I'm I mean, wondering that too. I mean, they lived in a mobile home with a tiny yard and a trailer park, so I really doubt they were burning their garbage. So, this sounds strange right from the beginning. Yeah. They lived close to where Lana worked, 
so she left immediately to come home. She arrived home within a few minutes, and she was shocked when she saw Robbie's hands. They did not appear to be burned with fire. This part is a bit disturbing, so listener discretion is advised here. The back of Robbie's hands were dotted with holes in his flesh. Something had eaten into his skin and caused these holes. Over a bit of time, the holes continued to grow wider and deeper. Lana had no idea what had caused these strange burns on her six-year-old son. Harry, being the stellar father figure he was, refused Lana to take Robbie to the doctor for this. Over time, his hands formed large blisters and patches of raw, thin flesh formed. Oh, that's so sad that Harry wouldn't... What the heck? I know, this is... so... Just, like, actually trying to make a picture in my mind of what I just said is just, like... I know. Kind of terrifying. It is. It's like a horror movie, like... How does she not take her son to the doctor anyway? Why would you listen to this jerk that you're dating and not listen to your kid? Who's got holes in his hands. That's a problem that keeps coming up in this case. She could be in fear of Harry. She has a new baby with him, and he's her babysitter. But uh, I don't know. It's hard to make sense of. Oh, my gosh. Lana tried every home remedy she could think of. She tried soaking his hands in cold water and hand creams and lotions, but nothing seemed to help Robbie heal. A little bit later, Harry revealed that he knew some more of the story than he had shared before. These burns were caused by battery acid. Harry told Lana that Robbie had gotten into the old car battery while taking out the trash. To me, the fact that Robbie didn't reveal this to his mother himself shows that there may have been a reason he feared telling his mom the truth about what happened. I mean, he was old enough to talk, six years old, but... Well, and I think to myself... How does a little kid get into a car battery? Don't you have to, like, hack on those things for the acid to come out? Or is it just, like, leaky all the time? No, they shouldn't be leaking. Okay. So. I guess I haven't really familiarized myself with a car battery. No, it's very strange. Yikes. Well, after three days with no progress, Lana finally took the boy to a hospital against the wishes of Harry. The doctor put Robbie into a local hospital where he spent ten days. But after that, they decided that he needed a specialist, so they transferred him to a burn center where Robbie stayed for a whole month. That's a long time. That is a long time for a hospital visit and for a little kid. Mm -hmm. After a while, Harry revealed even more that he hadn't shared before. He told Lana that Robbie had refused to take out the garbage, which made Harry really angry. Harry deliberately poured battery acid onto Robbie's hands for not taking out the garbage. So just let that soak in. We've described what a difficult recovery Robbie has had from this, because battery acid can do some serious damage. But Robbie got it poured on his hands, one of the most important parts of the body, just for being a rebellious kid. He was only seven. Who does that? Actually, I think he was six. A hard time picturing. Okay, when you have a car battery, how do you get the well, acid from the car battery, or did he? I just think have he acid? made up the okay. car battery thing. I think. Where do you get battery acid? Why would you I have, have that? I have no idea. Maybe he made his own batteries. Whoa! What? Like I'm super angry and really confused on the acid thing. Let's move on. Okay. After Robbie had been taken to the hospital with these suspicious burns, child welfare 
child welfare workers began looking into this family to find out more about how this accident happened. This unwanted attention started to make Harry really paranoid about losing his daughter, Wendy. So he tried to impress the social workers by running drills with Robbie for his schoolwork until he was perfect. It's worth mentioning that Robbie was in kindergarten at this point, and this little activity ends up being a very large part of the story. Harry would have Robbie count to 20 and recite his ABCs. He ran these drills repeatedly and would punish Robbie anytime he faltered while trying to complete these drills. To deal with Robbie's struggles, Harry tried to punish Robbie into doing better. He would spank the boy harder and more frequently. This ended up being counterintuitive, as most normal people would assume, but Robbie began struggling even more to complete these recitals perfectly. Harry also tried sending Robbie to his room, and when that didn't help, he started locking Robbie in a broom closet just for making a mistake while trying to recite this, which he was probably really nervous. Mm -hmm. I wonder, um, where's his half-brother? during this. They sent him away oh, and right. he would never live with them again. So. Lucky for him. Now here is where the lesson is for parents that lean towards a corporal punishment for their children. Um, Robbie was actually able to recite his alphabet and counted 20 flawlessly for his mother Lana and Wendy, but when Harry asked him to do it he would freeze up. It turned into a, a vicious cycle. The more Robbie would falter, the more frequently and severely Harry would punish him. But the more he was punished, the more he faltered. Interestingly, Wendy didn't do well in school either, but she was never punished or disciplined by her father. <sighs> this is such a sad cycle of abuse we're seeing here. Mm -hmm. It shows the fear that Harry instilled into the boy when he had poured the acid on his hands. And it seems like from that point on, this poor kid was terrified of Harry. And his nervousness was so intense around Harry that he couldn't recite something that he actually knew well. Yeah. I wonder how he managed to stick around, how the mom didn't leave him after he fessed up to pouring battery acid on her child's hands. I know. And there's obviously some very deep-seated mental problems on yeah. her part. I want it to be better. I want it to get better for him. We hoped that this was as bad as this abuse got, but it actually got worse. One afternoon, Harry thought of a new way to get Robbie to recite his letters and numbers. Keep in mind, this endeavor was in an attempt to impress child social workers. So Harry covered the boy's face and arms with tape and commanded Robbie to count up to 20. The boy made it almost halfway, but at nine, he faltered. Suddenly, Harry grabbed one of the strips of tape and quickly jerked it off Robbie's face. Then he told Robbie to keep going. 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 16. Harry tore another strip of tape off of the boy's face for omitting 15. After this sick little game ended, the boy's face and arms were red and irritated from all this trauma. This seems, uh, I can tell that this is really bumming you out. It just shows how deranged you need to be to commit these acts and- Yeah. And well, I'm just imagining like the seven-year-old that I care for. I mean, they are irritating at times, but they're innocent children. They look up to you for love and support and when you treat them this way, they still look up to you for love and support, but- Well, poor kids, they start to think this is <laughs> normal or that they deserve it. Yeah. They're just wondering, what am I doing wrong, and how can I make it better? And from, from a rational point of view, this is absolutely not a reason to 
punish your kids, especially physical corporal punishment. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe for some parents there's an appropriate time if there's deliberate disobedience, but just for something like this, it's so sickening. It's hard to read, but it's a difficult story to share. Well, I'm I'm also thinking about Harry like taping this boy and that like, he knows what he's going to do and he's he obviously knew that Robbie was going to mess up a lot if he had strips of tape all over his face and arms. Yeah. So it was almost like a sick thrill of... Yeah, this guy is a torture artist yeah. at this point. He's taking thrill in, in imagining what's going to happen next. Yeah, and unfortunately, he didn't seem to have any shame for inflicting this horrible abuse on this little boy until the next day when Robbie was at school. And the thought popped into Harry's head that Robbie's teacher might ask questions about the tape marks, And it's sad to know that the marks were so bad that they were still there the next morning when he went to school. Yeah, I mean, he must have used, like, some kind of duct tape or something. It's not like... If the marks were that bad, it must have That hurts. (sighs) But after a day went by without the teacher saying anything, Harry's confidence grew, and he repeated the same punishment. He did this until Robbie's face and arms were raw and bloody. And I'm wondering how the teachers didn't notice that. This could have been a huge missed opportunity because he was going to school with these sores on his face. And especially after the suspicions from the past, having the acid-burned hands, Mm -hmm. you would hope that the suspicious child social workers from before would be in some kind of cahoots with the teachers, letting them know to keep an eye on this child because Mm -hmm. he has had suspicious injuries in the past. Right. It's the only thing that I'm thinking that would cover it up is if Lana completely shut the parent or the teachers in the dark and maybe said that he had an accident and he had bandages on his hands so the teachers never actually got a good look at the wounds. And if the weather was right, if it was winter, they could say that he got really dry skin. You know, uh, they can always come up with an excuse as long as the welfare workers were never in contact with teachers true if she's ashamed and she needs the money from him and that's the sad part i mean one thing is understandable but when it keeps happening when there keeps needing to be excuses made then i mean you gotta wonder because i mean if someone would have stepped in it could have changed completely changed the future of robbie right well robbie returned home with no one standing up for him And the next weekend, on a Sunday afternoon, Harry commanded Robbie, Say your numbers for your mother. The boy answered, No, I don't want to. He was probably just trying to avoid the painful consequences that he knew were waiting for him if he didn't get his numbers right. There was a long pause after Robbie refused, and anger smoldered inside Harry from this defiant response. His rage took over him, and he grabbed the startled child by his arm and dragged him into the laundry room. He picked him up and threw him into the clothes dryer, closed the door, and turned on the machine. This is freaking terrifying. You could get arrested for doing this to a cat, but a child? How could anyone ever do this to their child or any child? Where's the mom? Where's She was right there. Anger and rage happens, but have some self-control when you're dealing with children or any other person. It's sickening to think about, and I wish I could punch this idiot in the face. So it seems to me like in a lot of child abuse cases, when one child is targeted and 
nobody else in the family is getting abused, that maybe disconnection is happening. The mom's distancing herself and disconnecting from her child. After you're abusing your kid for so long, you're starting to view them as an object, not a human Mm -hmm. anymore, you know? And later on, we'll talk about that targeting thing, but I didn't think of that, how it could be separating the bond that the mother had. After a few tumbles in the dryer, Harry stopped the dryer and just left him in there and walked away. So Lana... The mother helped her terrified son get out of the machine. He must get burns in there, too. I mean, obviously the dryer's hot because it's drying things. Yeah, this time he only let it go around like three times so it didn't heat up Uh, all the way. He must have gotten so bruised up, though. I know. Uh, Harry shouted, I want you to count to 20, damn it. Lana and Wendy both watched in too much shock to even move. The boy began his recital. His voice was shaking. The boy forgot to say nine, and continuing to feed his own rage, Harry yelled again, You forgot nine, you dumbass. Again, busting into a blind rage, Harry grabbed Robbie, dragged him back to the dryer, and threw him in again. He closed the door and turned on the machine. Yeah, Robbie, uh, he was definitely frightened, but... He was able to brace himself this time in the dryer so he wasn't tumbling when the dryer made its rotations. But somehow this infuriated Harry even more than he already was and he started freaking out. But thankfully Lana and Wendy intervened and got him to stop attacking Robbie. Now I'm thinking I've never been in a dryer obviously and I'm wondering how fast it moves on the inside. That's a good point. Because even if you're not tumbling around you're still going around and around in circles. You're yeah. just, you know, you're like you're just... getting dizzy. Yeah. I mean, ugh, I can't even go on a merry-go-round without feeling like I'm going to puke. And I'm like, okay, Lana and Wendy, they intervened. I'm like, big whoop. They shouldn't have let him get in there in the first place. Well, Wendy was just a nine-year-old okay, girl. not Wendy. I'm thinking this about Lana. But after they let the boy out of the dryer, Harry commanded Robbie, go sit in the closet. I don't want to see or hear from you again tonight. As terrible as it sounds, it was actually a relief for Robbie, and he complied. Ugh, what a terrible way to spend your Sunday evening. I don't blame him, though. I would be happy if he didn't want to see me. How sad is that when going to sit in a tiny closet is better than Mm -hmm. something else? For a seven-year-old who, you know, they, like, are constantly busy, constantly doing something. Yeah. Moving from one activity to the next. Mm. I mean, he obviously broke his spirit. Yeah, that's when, like, most kids' imaginations are going crazy and they Mm -hmm. can have fun with just about any toy. Yeah. About a week after this traumatic event, Robbie's teacher noticed the boy often had strange bruises and lacerations. And finally, the teacher alerted Paula Nelson, a veteran social worker. She was quick to act, and she drove to their home and knocked on the door. Lana answered the door as Harry sat in his chair. Paula got right to the point with her and said, Robbie certainly has had a lot of bumps and bruises. We don't often see a child so banged up. And Lana smiled disarmingly and laughed. Then she told the social worker, Oh, Robbie's one of those children who gets into everything. Paula wasn't so convinced that these were harmless lacerations. I just can't believe that Lana's sticking up for this loser, who she really has no attachment to. Yeah, he doesn't even work. So what's the draw? I don't understand. (laughs) 
Paula wasn't so convinced that these were harmless lacerations and knew the teacher wouldn't be satisfied with this answer either, but sadly there was nothing she could do unless someone either complained or confessed. She had no case for removing a child from the home of their biological parent. She tried not to come across as disappointed and handed Lana her business card letting Lana know, if you have any problems, just call me. This is a sad situation here. Even if Lana was afraid to tell a social worker of the abuse in front of Harry, she worked a full-time job where she was away from him 40 hours a week. Mm -hmm. She had plenty of opportunity to call Paula and report the abuse, but unfortunately she never did. I'm also wondering, <laughs> I have so many thoughts in this episode, I'm wondering, hey, let them flow. while Lana is working 40 hours a week, what she's thinking in her head. Like, is she thinking, oh, I bet that Robbie's fine and that Harry only does this when I'm around? Or is she, like, worried about mm -hmm. Robbie? Is she, like, you know, like in her head constantly thinking about what's going on at home or does she just put it out of her mind? That's a good question. Because how do you work 40 hours a week with no concern? Like she must have had some concern. Well, if she was working as a dancer, maybe she was able to drink on the job. But I thought she was a waitress now. Oh, is she? Yeah. And I don't, I don't know if dancers are allowed to drink on the job or not. So I'm not trying to be presumptuous. A few days after Paula visited the home, Harry Dowd came up with another idea. He decided he wanted to put Robbie in an orphanage to see if they could straighten him out. And Lana actually agreed to this. But cautiously, she reminded Harry, we'll have to wait until his bruises heal. This seems like their own little way of getting Robbie off their hands so Harry could stop abusing him. They wanted to be in control of the situation, even if it ended with Robbie leaving them. Because remember, they'd already sent his older brother Eric away. So. Right. But why didn't they send him to the same place? Why did he have to go to an orphanage? That's a good question. At the same time, it's kind of a hypothetical because they realize we have to wait until his bruises heal. Right. Will they be able to stop abusing him long enough to let his bruises heal? Mm-hmm. And even if he does go away, they're probably paranoid that he's going to tell someone eventually. The Reader's Digest article that covered this case stated that this is a frequent syndrome in child abuse. The adults who have lost control of themselves decide to turn the child over to surrogate parents, but they feel they had better wait until the bruises and lacerations clear up. And the tragedy is that before the bruises ever heal, the abusers lose control again and inflict new wounds. So, hmm. sadly, this plan never panned out. And as we go on in the story, we're all going to wish that it had. Harry then decided that they needed to get out, get out of Texas now that the social workers were on their case. So two days after coming up with this plan, the family packed and loaded their old brown station wagon with all their stuff and took off towards Oklahoma. They chose the southern west Oklahoma state because Harry had heard the area was acquiring new industry and growing job opportunities. He told Lana that he was going to look for work there. So the Dowdwood household was on the road and looking for a new start. They were headed east on U.S. Highway 20 towards Oklahoma and the car was stuffed with their belongings including clothes, dishes, and pans. And Lana and Harry sat in the front seat Wendy and Robbie and the new baby, who traveled in a basket, sat in the middle seat. And while they drove, Harry demanded of Robbie again to count to 20, but Robbie replied, 
No, I don't feel like it. But his mom, Lana, chimed in and said, Come on, Robbie, count for your dad. This really seemed to strike a nerve with Robbie because he replied, He's not my dad, which is fair. I mean, mm-hmm. not only is Harry not his father, but he's also causing this horrifying trauma in Robbie's life. And mom so nonchalantly says that? Like, <laughs> I mean, she's probably just trying to soften the, the tension that's about to blow. Yeah. But what the but heck? But could she care any less about her son? Yeah. But Harry didn't feel this way. Hearing Robbie say this enraged Harry so much that he nearly drove the car off the highway. Now here's another shocking detail that is really sad. After the boy said this, his mother Lana turned around in her seat and slapped Robbie across the face as hard as she could. This had to be a shock to Robbie. Up until this point, he could have thought that his mom maybe had his back against Harry, but when she smacked him... It must have broken his heart. The total disconnection. No longer is he hers. It's just... Yeah, she's not a mama bear. She's she's just protecting this jerk that's Mm -hmm. terrorizing her child. This fed Harry's rage even more, and he said, I tell you, Lana, we're going to have to send that boy to the orphan's home. Lana quickly replied, I agree with you, Harry, but his bruises still aren't healed up. As if the slap wasn't enough trauma for the boy. Now he's overhearing his own mother say that she wants to send him away as well. Well, Somewhere along the highway, they'd pulled into a rest area to have lunch, which was only soda and potato chips, which is crap lunch. But after they finished up, Harry hatched another terrible idea. He decided that if he pretended to leave the boy at the rest stop, it would frighten the orneriness out of him. I mean, why does he think the boy's so upset? Doesn't he realize what he's doing to the kid? He doesn't care. It's just a thrill. Harry really seemed to think that this stunt would surely make Robbie obey him. After their snack, Harry, Lana, and Wendy all got back into the car, but Robbie lagged behind, still sitting at the picnic table. At this point, Harry Dowd shouted out the window of the car, We're leaving you, Robbie. You're such a bad boy. We don't want you anymore. Then he drove the car over into a distant corner of the parking lot. But as they drove, another car pulled into the rest area. Harry saw them pull in and watched nervously from where they had parked. Now this car was occupied by Frank and Gladys Chapman, who were also stopping at the picnic area at the rest stop to eat lunch. They saw the boy as they pulled in, and they thought it was odd that a little boy was sitting at a rest stop by himself. It is odd. Mm-hmm. Why would a six or seven year old boy be at a rest stop by himself? And Frank assumed that he's probably lost. But the Chapman couple got out of their car, grabbed their picnic basket, and walked over to the table where Robbie was sitting. Gladys asked the boy, What's your name? And he replied, Robbie. Then Frank asked him, What are you doing here all by yourself? Harry says I'm going to an orphan's home, Robbie answered. Being the grandparents of two boys and a girl, they knew that sometimes kids say things that you can't take at face value. They couldn't even fathom the fact that somebody could abandon a little boy like this, so they just assumed he somehow got separated from his family and ended up lost. Gladys opened up her picnic basket as she asked Robbie if he'd like one of her extra special ham sandwiches. She handed one to him and he was very eager to eat it. He wolfed it down, as they say. Then she offered him an apple, and he also devoured that, then a banana, and two cookies. Harry and Lana watched from the corner of the lot, a bit panicked. Harry, being a bit of a wuss, contemplated what he would do. 
and was about to actually abandon the child for real. But he was afraid the people that came in after them had already seen him, so he turned the car around and drove back near the picnic area. Oh, yeah. I wish they would have left. Yeah, Robbie would have been much better off without them. I mean, you rarely say that about strangers who offer you food. You know, <laughs> like this could have been a terrible, you know, if it was a normal family, a stranger offering you. Sadly, this could have been a turning point in Robbie's life. But mm-hmm. Harry, no, no one even got out of the car at first. They just called for Robbie to get in the car through the window, but he ignored them. I mean, he was getting delicious food and attention from two loving and warm adults, mm-hmm. which was something he had never gotten before in his life. And so, again, Harry called from the car, Come on, Robbie, we've got to go. Robbie continued to ignore them because he probably didn't want to go back to his reality. So they sent Wendy to go get him. Robbie wouldn't get up at first, but she grabbed his hand and pulled him up to lead him back to the car. Now, after this incident, you'd hope that it would scare Harry straight and he would realize he should probably stop treating the boy so terribly because someone who cares might actually speak up and then he'd get in trouble. If not for the sake of the boy, at least stop for selfish reasons like not wanting to be caught. Now back to the Chapmans at the table. Gladys was a very perceptive and organized woman and something told her to write down the license plate of this car. So she pulled out a pad of paper and jotted it down. It sounds like you, having your planner. And- While she did this, Frank observed the situation and said, He sure didn't want to go back with them, did he? Did you see all the cuts and bruises on that child? So they noticed the cuts and the bruises. Mm-hmm. Concerned, they discussed reporting it to the police. They pondered on it together for about a half hour. They discussed what evidence they really had for reporting the family. A child who ate ravenously and was covered with cuts and bruises. He also seemed happy to be abandoned and be with these people and very reluctant to return to the car. They obviously would have been horrified if they knew Robbie's true situation, but they were torn because they feared making a mistake in reporting the family. They didn't so much fear becoming involved, If there was no real substance to their suspicion, they would have been really embarrassed for reporting it. Here's where I want to interject to say that, I mean, they seem like lovely people, but they absolutely should have reported this. Fear of embarrassment isn't a valid reason for letting this slide. I mean, there's no harm in reporting it and letting the authorities decide what to do with the information. And if there is no abuse, then that's great. The police would be just as relieved as the rest of us. But personally, I believe it would be better to investigate someone and clear their name, vet them, than to not investigate someone who is ruining a child's life. And as we go on in this case, we'll see how this decision could have dramatically affected the outcome of Robbie Wayne. And don't take that as me blaming those people for what happens. It's absolutely 100% his parents' fault. But... We can all take this as a lesson to apply what we often say here. If you see something, say something. Another reason they decided not to report anything was because of the young girl, Wendy. They noticed that she looked very healthy and well cared for, and she was super polite. They convinced themselves that any family who could produce such a lovely little girl couldn't possibly be abusing a child. So here's another thing that it would help for us all to be aware of. 
like we mentioned a little bit earlier, it's that it's not at all uncommon for abusive parents to just target one child as the only victim of abuse. According to Lois Rice, the executive director of Court Appointed Special Advocates, or CASA, in Kansas, in abusive households, it is not unusual for one child to be singled out as a quote-unquote problem child. One child may just be more difficult to manage. Many have physical or medical needs that cause the parents to be frustrated, and they lose their ability to properly control their own behavior. And she's actually seen several examples of targeted abuse at her work in CASA, but common things that can trigger these reactions are misbehavior or resistance to potty training, or in Robbie's case, resistance to chores and difficulty reciting his numbers yeah this is the most stupid reason to get physical punishment reciting your numbers it doesn't even make sense it doesn't because this guy doesn't give a crap about robbie's education Mm -mm. which we'll talk about later in Mm -hmm. next week's episode but yeah what can you say about it so unnatural and you can't you can't say anything except for how stupid it is upsetting so the license plate number floated around in gladys chapman's purse for a while but she eventually threw it away along with robbie wayne's hope for a better life oh that's so sad i know but that's where we'll pick it up next week because um really leaving them with a grim look um i spent a really long time researching well not really researching but just creating the outline for this because it's a really long and complicated story our typical episodes up to this point our outlines have been about 20 pages and this one's 41 pages so it took me forever to research Mm -hmm. and um so it's definitely has to be in two parts yes because yeah it's just so much to take in Hopefully there's a lot that we can all learn from this case. I mean, it's just another example of why we need to keep our eyes open and do our best to protect children that are helplessly being abused. Mm Mm-hmm. Makes you appreciate what you got. Yeah, no kidding. And like we want to stress on this show, we want to be grateful for what we have and, Mm -hmm. and make the best of every day. Yeah. Because... We're not being abused, and we're not locked in someone's basement, and we're not murdered. Well, and and we always say, when you see something, say something. And I realize that it would be very difficult to say something in reality when you are worried about not only just being embarrassed at yourself, but worrying about if it's nothing, then this family might have to go through a difficult situation and have to go to court and address the situation or and you don't want to overstep your boundaries right yeah but and like in the grand scheme of things like this story brings out it would have changed a life yeah and there are so many so many reasons the chapman's noticed that Mm -hmm. i mean it wasn't just one thing the kid was uh, clearly really hungry he didn't want to go back to the car Mm -hmm. he had cuts and bruises I mean, I guess I'm getting like the listen to your gut, you know? Yeah. You know how we had those math tests in school and those computer ones? And they always say, whatever you think of as your first answer is most likely the right answer. Then uh-huh. if you second guess yourself over and over again. Oh, did your interesting. teachers ever say that to you? No. Like, the first answer that comes to your mind is usually the, the correct one. But then you just like second guess yourself. I can't I can't say 100% because I guarantee like 
most of the things my teacher said to me went in one ear and out the other. Okay. So. Well, I'm thinking of that for this because <laughs> it's like if you think to yourself, like, this child's being abused, but then all of a sudden you're second-guessing yourself, like, well, this could be it or this could be that or the sister looks healthy. Like, mm-hmm. just go with your first gut instinct. I mean, if there is a chance that we can make a difference in a child's life, like anyone that's in the same situation as Robbie, it's worth it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But that's, we're we're going to wrap it up now because mm-hmm. um, we're, we have to go somewhere. But uh, thank you for listening this week, and we hope that you got some value out of it. And if you enjoy our show, please definitely subscribe and consider leaving us a five-star review and uh, write us a review. Let us know how we're doing, what we can improve, or what we what you like about it so we know to keep doing it. Mm-hmm. And you can also follow us on Instagram at VOV Podcast or Twitter at VOV Pod. And you can also email us at VOVpodcast at gmail.com, which will link all of that down in the show notes. Or you could also become one of our patrons and get some really cool stuff. So make sure you check out our Patreon page. Yeah. And we promise that we'll be releasing premium episodes soon. Um, We have some that are in the works, but because of time, we haven't been able to get them recorded yet. It'll be easier once it gets cold and crappy and snowy outside. Yeah, fall is impending on us now, so we're going to have a lot more indoor time. Not quite as busy once summer's over, which I'm sorry, Rosie, because Rosie is... (laughs) She loves 80s, 90s. Might as well get the noose out. (laughs) Okay, we'll have to work through that. (laughs) It's been a rough week, but (laughs) thank you for listening. And there's my alarm. We'll talk to you next week. All right. Bye. Bye. Hey guys, I'm Heather. And I'm Rochelle. And And we're we're from from Nature Nature vs. Narcissism. A true crime podcast mixed with some dark humor. Sometimes we have alcohol. Sometimes we have guests. Since I've always been fascinated by true crime, I wanted to delve deeper into the criminal mind and discuss why these criminals commit these vile acts. Was it nature? Was it nurture? Or was it just plain old narcissism? Join us every week for a brand new episode. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, and Podbean. Don't Don't call call the cops! cops. Bye. Bye!